Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Welcome to a very super duper special episode of Whining About Hearst 3. Today, instead of whining about women, we're going to be whining with women. Today we are talking about an exciting new musical, The King's Wife. The King's Wife reimagines the relationship between Henry VIII's first wife, Catherine of Aragon, and his second wife, Anne Boleyn, as one of like-minded friends instead of bitter, romantic, and political rivals. And we are just dazzled to bits to be joined by the musical's producers, Jennifer Kranz and Abigail Rose Solomon. That's a great intro. It's actually, I like it. I like it. That's our elevator pitch. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Kelly was like, uh, so you're doing the intro, right? Like three (laughs) seconds before we got on, I was like, oh no. (laughs) Typed it up real quick. So changing the description of the show. Like it should say this. It should have this adjective. (laughs) But you said it perfectly in a succinct way. Two sentences. Emily's on top of it. Can you tell my boss that? Because, like, I think it would mean a lot. (laughs) Emily's a great writer. Write him a nice email. Yeah. Get your thoughts on the phone. Yes. Done. (laughs) Perfect. So, Jennifer and Abigail, can you guys tell us a little bit about yourselves and your roles on this project? Yes. Yes. So, do you want me to start? Please. So, um, I... uh, am from New York. (laughs) And this is Jennifer speaking, by the way. (laughs) I would start at the very beginning. How about that? Uh, no, I'm the I'm the creator of The King's Wife, but um, really I had the joy of doing early development with the two writers, Melissa Annis and Jamie Floyd, both wonderful, beautiful geniuses. Um, Melissa wrote the book and Jamie did the music and lyrics. Um, I had the idea and I sort of like did the original story for it, but these women have really taken it and created something so incredible and have fortunately have freed Abigail enough to actually produce the show, (laughs) which is a lot of work in itself. So that's who I am. Well, Jen didn't say her decades in women's television and how she knows more than anyone what (laughs) makes women, what stories women resonate with, (laughs) the popularity of this subject matter and how, you know, she'll tell you more about how the story developed. But I was lucky enough Um, I have a company called Rosalind Productions. I started it 16 years ago. I started as an actor um, and started producing my own shows. I wanted to act in initially with a very clear mission, which was succinctly strong female characters, but told in a way like Rosalind and As You Like It, ones who, which Rosalind Productions is named after, ones who drive the story, who are the protagonists, who have the last word, and who are depicted in different ways than they're usually depicted in dramatic literature. And so um, I've been doing that now for 16 years. I was lucky enough to meet Jen four years ago. She's been my partner at Rosalind Productions. We've been um, well, now we're developing stories, and she brought she brought this project to me and said, "Are you interested?" And, and I, I, said, I held her down, and I was like, "No, <laughs> no, 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 no!" It she, wasn't a question; <laughs> it was a demand. It, it's <laughs> like when your boss asks you, "Hey, could you come in this weekend?" It's not a question; <laughs> they're telling you it's happening. <laughs> I mean, it's, since it's the first, I'm now I've been a co-producer in a bunch of Broadway shows, and I've you know produced shows myself in LA and off Broadway. But this is the first musical Rousey Productions is launching, so it better be good right I couldn't come on to it if it wasn't but also it's exactly down the line of everything I've always wanted to do literally taking two women we all know about and telling a story about them that you have never heard the mission of Rosalind Productions is Productions is changing the narrative to help eradicate gender and racial bias. And I would say this is exactly changing the narrative. Yeah, that's that's... Job, by the way, we're going to be done with that in like two weeks, you know, changing the narrative. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and all one. gender and racial bias yeah. will be eliminated. Exactly. Oh, thank God. Can't wait. Well, yeah. Two weeks. <laughs> Mark in my calendar. Guys. Yep. <laughs> no, but we believe that it's, it's our way of doing it is through storytelling and the importance of history. Right. Yeah. And how narratives are told makes a big difference in how people perceive the world. Well, and everything you're saying is just like my ears are perking because that is what we are all about. And especially on our podcast, we explore women that you probably haven't heard of, like Catherine of Aragon, Anne Boleyn. This is the only way they're ever going to end up on our podcast because they're so well known. But 
it's interesting to see how these women are depicted through history, particularly uh, based on their ethnicity, their gender identity, their uh, sexual orientation, you know, their appearance is always the biggest one. Oh, yeah. It's like it's like always the first sentence. It's like this is not. how they look. <laughs> <laughs> and that and that you're bringing these story, these female led stories to life is just so amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know the the, the depiction of Anne and Catherine is is particularly frustrating. You know, we sort of started out researching the story. I wanted to tell the story just because I was a fan of the genre. But, and when you kind of dig into these two women in history, I mean, they were such warriors. They were smart, they had ideas, they were progressive, they were great thinkers, and they had all the leadership qualities you need to run something big, you know, right. like a country. But they really were not given the opportunity. Their only job was to have a male child, that if you yep. were a queen, or really any, any woman, really, it was best if you had a male child, and neither one of them could do that. And because of that, there was all sorts of uh, fallout. So... Um, when we were researching, we were like, you know what, these women, if they were alive today, would be friends, they would be fighting together, they had all the same values. Um, so that's what gave us the idea to um, create a friendship between them. So the King's Wife is this beautiful, moving story of female friendship. And, you know, what happens in a world when great women are, you know, unable to rise or not, are not allowed to rise. And Anne Boleyn was historically a lady in waiting of Catherine of Aragon. They so knew it each wasn't, other. They knew each other. So yeah. it's not completely out of the realm. And Catherine and, and Henry, I think, had to, were in love for 20 years. I mean, yeah. there's a yeah. lot to that story. Yeah. You know. And our book writer is so amazing. I mean, she, she's originally from the UK and she just did a deep dive on the history of these two women. And she surfaced like a lot of clues that actually point that they may have had a mutual respect on some level. So it really kind of just fueled us. It's like, this is the story we would want to see about these two women because they were so interesting. And I guess their parallels, you know, Catherine Merrigan, which are, are we allowed to say our show starts with her going into battle pregnant, which is true. <laughs> You know, I mean, she was an incredible leader, whether Henry was a good leader, we're not so sure. But, right. you know, if it was OK. And by the way, it wasn't illegal for for women to be queen of England, as both their daughters ended up being Mary right. and Elizabeth. It was more that it, they didn't find it advantageous for a woman to be a leader. Right. And so they went, he went to crazy extreme um, you know, in the tra- attempt to prevent that. And then the end didn't win. But had they been and. Hmm, we have some of that still now. Had <laughs> a woman being no allowed way. to run the country, which Elizabeth ultimately was, right. she's arguably one of the greatest leaders of all time in any in any time in any. Right. So, you know, good things can happen when women are given the opportunity. Yeah, and absolutely. Right. So Catherine of Aragon, Anne Boleyn, as we've kind of touched on, have been, they've been covered really extensively. Even if you are not into the Tudors or history, you know who they are. But the king's wife has a unique take on their relationship. And can you tell, go into a little more detail about that? Because obviously these two women knew each other and interacted in real life. But how is their relationship coming through in this musical? Yeah, so they we we have them uh, meeting when Anne comes to court. She's been at the French court, and she comes in, and she's sort of put through the paces as a lady in waiting. Initially, you know, she she comes in, and, and Melissa has. I mean, all the lines she writes are glorious, but Melissa has this great line, um, like where Catherine's like, "You look a lot like your sister. You like you, you remind me of your sister." Like sort of a nod to you know the other Boleyn girl. That sort of. Oh thing. yeah, that's great. <laughs> Anne really goes about trying to change her opinion because she knows Catherine and she knows how great Catherine is. She knows of her and she's interested in working for a woman who has ideas and thinks big. So um, over time, they gradually really discover that they have um, a like-mindedness and Anne really helps Catherine through a significant tragedy. We won't say what that is, but that's where the beautiful song we're going to hear later, I Know You, comes in. Um, And they just discover this mind meld and this affection for each other. Um, And then unfortunately, of course, uh, Catherine is not able to do her job, you know, like I say that with quotes, um, which is have a prince and things sort of like, you know, cascade from there. 
um, Anne Boleyn, you know, our take on it is that Anne is kind of, she really wasn't given much choice in this, right? She's portrayed as a vixen and a seductress and a temptress and all those fabulous adjectives that we use. Um, she was probably just there. In reality, she was probably yeah. just there and he was like you. <laughs> there and, and sexually, which we all right. understand, sexually exactly. harassed yeah, into yeah, the exactly. job. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or taken. Right, so right. So, so, um, Right. So she just, our take is that she was pretty much sexually harassed into yeah. the whole thing. It was and then, how, and then, how do you say no to a king? Who's also kind of your boss? Yeah. Like, no, she, had, she, women did not have, women did not have choices back then. Right. Yeah. You belonged to your husband. You own no property. You had no, you did not have ownership over your children. You had nothing. Um, the best thing you could hope for as a woman, if you weren't noble is to, you know, just find a husband to be married. Um, and if you were noble, you also had to find a husband and be married to, you know, to, in order to keep up your lifestyle. When you were married, you gave all your possessions, right. you know, there was a dowry, you had to give everything to your husband. So women had no choice back then. Right. We the goal was to marry we, up. What we have yes. is, is, you know, Anne's totally focused on other, definitely not focused on Henry. She's talking us on the men. She's like, and, then, and then they, they're doing cool things related to, there's the character of Mary, the, um, Catherine's daughter mm-hmm. and, and, and Anne helps in a way with ma- stuff with Mary and they're doing some educational stuff for women, which was mm-hmm. true that Melissa found that Catherine had um, dedicated a book about the education of women, which both of them were interested in. True story. <laughs> and that when Anne kind of picks up as queen later, Anne, I believe herself, um, you know, passed through something like the poor law was, was, was trying to, which we sort of imagined that she got from Catherine, that sort of confidence and interest of what can I do for the people and, and this country of England um, outside of, you know, give birth to an heir. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, it's all, had they been allowed to participate, it would have been more successful. And the the the, um, the character of Mary has actually become quite important in the story too. Um, initially, she wasn't a good story at all, but over time, she became part of the story. And we see her initially as an excited, happy teen that's been shipped off, shipped off to France to marry the Dauphin. And um, she gets shifted around as her mother's fortunes decline, yep. right? If the mother is falling out of favor, so does Mary, the king's daughter, you know? So she goes from this happy, excited young woman, you know, her trajectory in the musical to this woman who, this young woman who is embittered and angry. And instead of doing good when she finally does become queen, you know, while she actually did do some great things as, as queen, she sort of like took out her enemies. Which she was the she went thing. a little crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, so, so she earned this, again, you know, we're labeling a woman who, you know, who did some, who did some not great things. We don't right. really give those labels to the kings that did like similar things, but mm-hmm. so she earned the nickname of Bloody Mary. So you sort of see her become, I mean, we don't refer to that at all, of course, in the show, but you see her become sort of a hardened, bitter young woman because of what is done to her mother and because of the neglect she suffers. Yeah. And, and to be clear to the audience, what happens to her, she's declared a bastard. It gets so yeah. bad. We also see the trajectory of Catherine, Catherine can't even, as a devout Catholic, can't even imagine what is going to happen to her, which is basically Henry ultimately <laughs> decides to become a Protestant so he can divorce her. I mean, pretty yeah. much. So he's, he then says, you're not even my child anymore. Like yeah. this, this marriage didn't exist. And so therefore Mary isn't even my child. I mean, oh, that's, that's how bad it gets. For yeah. Them. Yeah, so that, you know, turning to Catherine in our mind, you know, she's like, oh my God, we're all damned to hell. This is how bad, this is worse than death, basically. Oh, yeah. But it was also awful for Catherine because, you know, she was born for this job, essentially. She was born to be queen. And as you, the first uh, song in the show, just so geniusly written by Jamie, is called I Should Be Queen. And as Abigail said, she's going out to lead the troops in battle. And it's a song about how she loves doing this. She loves leading. She's right where she should be. That's actually a lyric from the song. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just all taken away from her forcibly. So she didn't right. do anything wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's another, she had no choice. She yeah. was just there and it happened. Yeah, right, right. And we, we we just can't throw people away like that. We can't throw good women away like right. that. Right. Well, and something that's interesting in Mary's character is you get to kind of explore the intergenerational harm of sexism and like the disenfranchisement of women because Mary is out there and she's fresh and new. And uh, like when we think of, when we think of babies and children, we think of all this untapped potential and then to see her 
her future, her status, her place in the world, and her as a person being irreparably damaged. Yes. And and at, at some point it's like, oh man, I feel really bad for you and just who who you were almost forced to yeah. become. Right. Yeah, and it's, you know, for all the moms in, that are going to be in the audience, it's like these this woman did not see her child again essentially. She was, you know, yep. Catherine was not allowed to see Mary again. So they were re- literally removed from one another. So imagine that having your mom around as a teenager, you know, she was essentially a teenager when this was all going down. So and you also see that, that you know, Anne trying to pop him out and being, you know, Elizabeth was also removed from her, you know, right. so. Right. It was rough. It was rough. You, yeah, <laughs> you don't even absolutely. have ownership over your own children. It's like, this child literally came out of my body. Can I, like, talk yeah. to them? Yeah, right. Can I, can I just no, see cut. Yeah, because yeah. you're a queen, no, somebody else is definitely going to nurse that child and you're not supposed to see that person. Right. Um, and ultimately, that's why Elizabeth said no men. The idea of no men was that the reason, it, the problem was if they marry, if Mary as queen married a foreigner, they were trying to marry her to Spain or France, then because men had dominion over the woman, uh, England, and this was probably Cromwell and their issues, England would then not have control over their own country. It would be under really foreign rule, whoever the queen had married. So therefore, Elizabeth did not marry anybody. Mm -hmm. And she kept command of the country. Which is super smart. Like her, like it's sad that she like didn't marry because you know you never know if she found she wanted to. Yeah, the fact that she was like no because of how men treat women as property. I'm just not going to marry anyone and solve this problem. Yeah, and can and and really run the show. Right. You hope they wouldn't have to choose, but we <laughs> still have to choose. Exactly. <laughs> today. But aside from all the, it is, so, yes, but aside from all the, the darkness of the piece, it is an incredibly entertaining piece of theater, you know, with beautiful highs and lows. And, um, you know, Melissa's book is so funny at points. She's just, a, she's just a writer that cannot write without some, um, humor. So there's a lot oh, of yeah. really great, um, you know, levity there at points. But I would say the heartbreak (laughs) is the female friendship. So so to us, like, that's the ultimate story. For me, I I mean, female friendship, you know, Jen and I are a real team, and, 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 and that should, you know, those moments where they support each other, and then when they lose each other, um, Oh yeah, I have a feeling I'm gonna cry. I was gonna say I'm gonna cry. It's fine. It's it's quite a gut punch. It really, really is. Hold on to your besties a little closer tonight, friends. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. the power power of that. We we also have the Henry and Catherine. Like what you know. I loved you. You know, there's that. Yeah, the betrayal. The marriage, when the marriage gets to the point, you know, we like, we're, we're approaching them like real people. So yes, they're historic, but, but that point in the marriage where you love that person, but like whatever has happened has gone too far. That, that last child has died and it is that the, the relationship isn't going to make it. You know what I mean? We show that too, but the real heartbreak for the audience, I think will be with the, the breakup or the separation of the women. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as you mentioned, you know, obviously throughout history, the stories of Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn just keep popping up. People keep retelling them. What about their stories speaks specifically to you guys? Like what, why did you pick them? Was there a reason to pick their story over other yeah. wives or, you know, or other even historical doing like figures? an overview because uh, the, the six wives are always kind of packaged up, you know, they're, right, they're a packaged right, yeah. deal. Great, great question. It's really about, um, again, I'm just such a fan of the genre. I wanted to tell a story about the first two women. I think partially because they're so popular and I'm just personally interested in it. You know, um, Catherine of Aragon and to your point and Anne Boleyn, everybody knows them. I think there's some romanticism about them, you know, in some ways, partially, partially because it's this weird cat fight um, that they had. Unfortunately, they were pitted against each other and they, you know, they sort of, um, it's, it's how it had to be. They kind of had to right. survive. Well, and Henry creating, like, his own church to marry Anne probably also had something to do with everyone remembering the two of them. Yeah, and Anne dying, you know, Anne being murdered. I mean, we forget, we say she was executed, but really she was murdered. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, so, um, but it was really just a desire to see the two of them, um, 
in an, in a, in a way that they could, that could have been, I guess is the best way to describe it, you know, to see them put their minds together in a really interesting way, because I think that that's what would have happened in real life had they been alive today. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. It's, just, it's just sort of born of a frustration. Like, let's just give these women a different story. You know, every, again, everybody talks about Anne, like this vixen and this sort of like, you know, again, the descriptors, um, and it's just not, it's very sort of one dimensional. It's not who she truly was. Oh, yeah, and it's all related to Henry, you know, like it's never just like, <laughs> this is Anne. It's, this is Anne, who Anne is in relation to Henry. Absolutely. These stories, their stories are overshadowed by one man, you know, mm-hmm. he controlled their destinies. And we just want to sort of rise them up and talk a little bit about who they were. It's, it's <laughs> interesting. The interesting parts to us, yeah. you know, well, these were really inter- bad ass women. <laughs> right, right. Well, it's interesting because I feel like you see that similar dynamic a lot in true crime. You know, we all know Ted Bundy, <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer, BTK can't name his victims. And there's been this revolution to have a more victim focused narrative. Who were these people? And, you know, right. w- like the loss of their life is a tragedy and, you know, taking, okay. giving the power back to them and kind of taking it away from the killer. And when you think about Henry VIII, like he's a murderer, he's an abuser. He's a, he's a deeply unhappy, miserable guy who didn't want to be king. And he's kind of gotten the spotlight because one, he's king, and two, he's the little cuckoo bananas. And that's interesting. But I think the idea of reframing the wives instead of as just victims of him. And mm-hmm. as autonomous people in their own right is really, really cool. I'm yeah. so excited. My whole premise is you you have to see it to be it. And it's very hard a lot of times for women, you know, without seeing things or having a mentor or, or just recognizing their own story. So, yeah, if we keep telling the story about the perpetrators, by the way, perpetrators don't change. The only people who can change, um, like make people not get murdered and abused are the people around them. Yeah. Or So if we keep telling a story of victim and perpetrator, the perpetrators are the only ones who are getting any play. Right. So we want to tell a story of, for me, it's inherently political of telling stories of powerful women doing incredible things who, and these are two of them in history. So we're able to tell that story. People might also recognize what happens to them or, you know, maybe I shouldn't get too political on this show, but no, like, you're what, fine. <laughs> what, what is still happening to, you know, people's perception of women leaders and how they're treated and how it all becomes about the sexy, powerful male. I mean, that's happening on a daily basis now and look where we are in the world because of that. So, so it's very, very going back in history. That's very, very topical now. I think will really resonate, but also just on a personal view for somebody to be able to say, Oh my God, I didn't know there was this incredible leader named Catherine of Aragon who was freaking pregnant and went to war and, and <laughs> right. came up with all of these forward thinking things and challenged her husband. Actually, the truth is Henry let her lead. He was, we're not sure he was supposed to be king. You know, he was the second. His brother died. He was supposed to be king. He was sort of like the second who got it by the throne by mistake. He was the spare. You have the heir and the spare. <laughs> he was the spare. He wasn't necessarily that into being, you know, well, and king. And, you know, so, so here's seeing a great leader and what a great leader can do who happens to be a woman. Um, so there are a lot of ways people can be inspired by her story, know another piece of history. If we were telling more his her stories, um, yeah. maybe more women would feel empowered to lead and maybe more men would be seeing those stories and be more used to women being leaders. Right. right? right. Yeah. yeah. Don't make it me. weird. <laughs> Right. It wouldn't be so weird right. because then you're like, oh, yeah, they've done this before. Show exactly. people an alternative view and it won't be alternative over time. Correct. Mm-hmm. So how has the story evolved over time? Because obviously it's taking a much different direction than from, you know, just everyone's characterization of these two women. Right. Well, and like you said, it started out, Mary wasn't in it. And yeah. now she is. So like what other things have evolved as you've kind of been producing the show? Oh, that's a fun question. God, I have to think back. It's been several years. But Pull out yes. a notebook. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, Mary. I wish Melissa was here to answer this question. Um, but there was there was no Mary, and Mary. It was Melissa's idea to bring Mary into the story, and she was hundred percent right. She's like, you know, we need something and sort of a tangible addition here that's going to help us uh, make our point. Um, 
Henry recently got his own song, an issue we're not, not going to allow any of the men to sing, but now, now the men do sing. And Henry has this song that Jamie just wrote a couple months ago. It's genius. It's called That Was Me. Um, so that's it. That's another thing. Um, what else has changed? Initially, um, the proposition was that um, Anne takes the opportunity to become queen uh, and sort of um, not stabs Catherine in the back, but she's like, I have to do this. I have no choice. Um, and Melissa said, you know, again, to Melissa's credit, she said, you know what? No, I think we really have to have this be a painful thing. These women don't want to separate. Um, it's their friends to the end. And I think by, we're just doing the same thing over and over if we're pitting them against each other again in this story. Yeah, like if you're and, having her stab him in the back, yeah. then, it, then it does make her more of She's a vixen. She's the vixen and the know. scheming yeah. usurper. Exactly. Even though she was not doing that in our story, it, it really was so much more effective in that manner. So those are the big things I think that have changed. I can't think of anything else. Well, I mean, even over, I mean, Jen, like, so has the whole picture. I, even in the last, uh, I would say two year and a half, two years that I came on, um, we've spent all of COVID developing the show. Yes. We brought on uh, currently working with the, uh, with the girls is an incredible um, director, Tamala Woodard, who is an associate director on um, Hades Town, oh, and uh, she's been she's wonderful. She's incredible, yeah. and she's helped um, you know tell this story. And 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 in shaping a drama, um, you know, you you constantly kind of juggernaut. You constantly have to say sort of what is you know what does this character really want, and how do we make Anne more defined, and how we make Henry more defined, and just nuances that really matter. Is Henry more of a artistic flake? Is he more <laughs> of a, a, does he have a narcissistic personality disorder? Like like what sort of how much does he know? Is he you know we have these guys who are manipulating him. How much is he being manipulated into this, or how much is he saying I want Anne Boleyn, or is it someone suggesting? So, so all these little pieces, you know, when you're dealing with a musical, you, it's a certain ride mm -hmm. that the audience has to go on to make it effective in, an, in a two hour drama. Um, and so, you know, what exactly is, so there are a lot of fine details that go into, that's more minutia. Mm -hmm. Jen's talking more about the <laughs> overall. But, how, how long yeah. have you guys been like working on this show? Well, so, you know, I had the idea in like 2016 or 2017. And at the time I was a very busy television executive and I couldn't like, let me drop everything to like, you know. Right. You were just like, I'm going to put this down on a piece of paper and maybe come back to it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, uh, Melissa and I started developing it in earnest in, in 2017. Um, and then from there, you know, development really ebbs and flows you know the these uh, the artists that work on the show this is not the only thing they work on right. we, it's not the only thing that abigail and i work on so things ebb and flow and you know in terms of when people are working on things and such um so yeah it was about i would say we started really hardcore on it in like 2017 i'd had the idea actually i think back in like 2013 if i'm thinking about it it was percolating for years and then i finally did something about it in 2017 when i i, I was leaving the tv industry um by choice uh, it was a great great time, but I was really ready to come into theater and, and, you know, produce there. So, um, so it's been a few years and, and it's, it's been quite a ride. It's been quite a ride. And I guess the follow-up to that question is how long do you think it will continue to take? Like, well, yeah. <laughs> is there a light at the end of the tunnel kind of a thing? No, I mean, we just have to give a shout out to the creative team again. They have been incredibly productive in COVID, but of course, COVID has slowed everything down. So Broadway is backed up by like two years Oh, now. I'm sure. And if the show ever it is going to go to Broadway, I mean, the show could have many trajectories. It could have a great life sort of around the country and other countries and never have to go to Broadway. You know, um, we think it has a really great shot and, and would, would do well. So we'll see. Um, so the next step is um, we have a workshop with a wonderful... Um, nonprofit, one of the best in America, Playwrights Horizons, and they're, they're workshopping it for us, giving us some development time so we can actually put it in front of an audience and just see what the reaction is, like an industry audience. 
and then we're having conversations with um, other countries like uh, in you know the UK and Australia there's an initial interest you know uh, based on the story and you know the script we've sent in the music um, and also uh, some other theaters in, uh, in the country that we're, we're talking to so we're get sort of at the late stage of early development I would say if that makes sense I think <laughs> so <laughs> so this would be a really good opportunity for me to say like come to Minnesota yeah just <laughs> whatever else you do, Minnesota. <laughs> we want to there, see that. Minnesota is a great um, theater state. I was going to say, yeah. we have several nice theaters here. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, the idea is you you hope to get a, you know, whether it gets to New York, there's often out of town or a couple of out of yes. town triads. And then it comes to New York, maybe in some fashion, and then maybe goes back on tour at some point. I mean, there are different trajectories for mm-hmm. Shows. But yes, the, the workshop um, will be our coming out party. Yeah, I would say. To, to the New York crew. Yeah our, yeah, our coming out party in New York. And then we'll see if, you know, Playwrights is interested in doing a production or, you know, where we would do it in New York, if not. And 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 from there, you know, let the fun madness ensue. Um, now that we're coming <laughs> out of COVID, it's a much, you can actually start to have these conversations. What the virus did. Right aside from all the terrible things that it did, unfortunately, um, is it really delayed theater and any conversation about producing it, you know, because so many theaters had to shut down um, right. for a lot of staff. So, so many nonprofits across the country are getting back on their feet. Broadway's getting back on its feet. So the conversations now can really begin to get in earnest. So it's exciting. And just for the record, I mean, we've worked co-produced on Broadway shows, you know, you, you're changing it until the show gets locked, which I think is you know, the third week of previews. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so after every iteration, after the workshop, we'll go back, we'll see what worked, what didn't. After we do another production, we'll see what worked, what didn't. And, and even when you think it's as good as it can get, it will still be in process. And that is why people say, there's nothing harder than trying to work on a musical. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, th- don't they say like great art is never finished. It's simply abandoned. Like at one point you just have to be like, I'm done. I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. That's me with painting. I, at some point I have to, cause I'm such a perfectionist. I'm like, I'm done. Cause if I keep touching it, I will screw it up. Yeah. Well, we, we worked on a, um, we were co-producers on another musical called The Prom, which is a really terrific, terrific show. And we've seen in previews, we've seen versions of The Prom that no one will ever see because they were still changing it. You know, literally, I think until, what was it like? Well, like it's in, it was like- Yeah, it's, it's until when there's a point at which press starts to come and they lock the yeah. show. And, and um, but it's, it's all, because that part is all about audience response right. too, right? I mean, you can't, a, a theater, you know, doesn't exist without the audience. So that's different than doing it on Zoom or doing it in <laughs> right. Gotta get in front of someone and see if it's gonna fall on its face or not. So, okay. I have to know, who do each of you relate to more? Catherine of Aragon or Anne Boleyn? We're not doing horoscopes. We're doing <laughs> dead uh, queen. Which dead queen are you more like? I love this question. We should try to guess who. So I love this question. It's like, are you a Carrie, Samantha? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> love it. Um, there's even a character in the show called Lady Hastings, who is dallying with the king. So Ooh. she could be um, when the show comes out, she could become part of which character? Um, hmm. Oh, I, I think you're going to say Catherine of Aragon. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yes, I think I relate most to Catherine of Aragon, too. Yeah. Is there a particular reason you both say that? Hmm. I mean, I'm kind of a... <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit of a, maybe a, a, a lone feminist wolf myself. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, I, I, I run into battle, you know, pregnant, that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> you're that kind of woman. That is the most men. horrifying yeah. thing I can think of. Like a pregnant woman running at me screaming. I'd be like, I'm done. Yeah, that's take it off. You just set down your sword and you're like, nope, I'm take done. Take my house, take my country, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would... Uh, I mean, Abigail's a mom of two little kids who are fabulous, and I can attest that at eight months pregnant, she was running around with me to production meetings and meetings with various things. She was running into battle. Strong Catherine energy. (laughs) um, I think I relate to Catherine just because she's just like people, you know, like this is how it is. She's just sort of, she's so smart and she does what she needs to do, but not at the expense of giving up who she is. 
Um, in fact, she won't give up who she is. She's asked to, and she won't. So she's forcibly removed because mm-hmm. she won't. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to forcibly remove me, you know, like that. Right. You're going to have to take me out of this room. Yeah, take, right, exactly. So obviously life in the Tudor court is worlds away from where we are today. Like people can't really imagine what court life was truly like. How have you kind of modernized the court to be more relatable to today's audience? That's a great question. You know, the music, Jamie's glorious, glorious score is thoroughly modern. You know, it's just, there's nothing like sort of traditional musical about it, which is one of the reasons why we love her so much as an artist, one of the many reasons. Um, also, Melissa, you know, in reading her work when we when I was looking for a writer to just start the project with, she has the incredible ability to speak in a super heightened ma- manner as a writer, but yet you feel like you're reading something contemporary. So it is going to be a period piece. You are going to feel like you're in the Tudor era, but with really modern flourishes, um, you know, from everything from like, you know, drops in language and, and just sort of witty, witty lines um, to, uh, you know, Jamie's songs. Uh, there's a song called I Could Shut Up. Um, and it's this really, really fun, great upbeat song that the ladies sing about how, you know, I don't understand why Henry like bothers with these strong-willed women. I would just shut right. up and be the queen. And it's this really like fun bumping thing. Like I could shut up and not, you know, like that sort of thing. So um, the, the music is very, very sort of modern feeling. Um, Rock you know, pop, not yeah. like musical theater. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. kind of say, you know, we're, we're such fans of Spring Awakening. It's such a wonderful show. Kind of the way Spring Awakening is a period piece, but with a very sort of modern flourish. Okay. That is, it's a progressive vibe. Our show has a very progressive vibe to it. That's something that's so uh, fun about theater too, is because you can really push the bounds of, uh, yeah. y- you can stretch your, uh, what, what am I trying your expectations of reality, suspend S- your, suspend, suspend your reality. Your reality. Um, yeah. Like, like um, Hamilton. I mean, that was like a culture yeah. revolution. You have one <laughs> yeah. of the founding fathers played by a Puerto Rican man, you rapping. know, Jefferson's playing by, played by a black man. They're rapping right. and they're having, yeah. instead of yeah. cabinet debates, they're having rap battles and, <laughs> you know, it, it can be entertaining entertaining yeah. and you can learn something <laughs> yeah there's, there's no hip-hop in our musical yeah. but you know that to, to, maybe you know, that'll you change <laughs> if henry the eighth starts rapping like i'll pay you can i get a henry the eighth rap <laughs> we have sort of a pattern patterns on yeah but um yeah we're entertainers i mean yeah. that, you gotta bring them in you gotta make them laugh and cry mm-hmm. and we have no interest in i've watched actually too many stodgy uh things about the Tudors films are often deadly boring to me or as mini series or whatever that I find kind of pace so so we have no interest in any anyone nor us sitting through anything like that Uh, we we actually have a good sense of what makes audience um, enjoy something and and go for that ride with us yes and that's a good point Abigail the king's wife is dynamic and energetic and and, and exciting and sex and 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 sexy and dark (laughs) and a little more mature you know like mature for you know women Mm -hmm. like us yeah you know Women are the primary ticket buying audience. So, you know, women 40 plus on Broadway, they buy 69% of the tickets. So, wow. you know, in theater, if your show does not, is, is not like geared on some level toward women, it potentially is not going to do well. That's super interesting because there's so many markets where it's like, no, we're just going to market to guys and, you know, right. w- women are into it, but we don't care about them. Right, right, right. <laughs> Right. Yeah, in theater, it may be marketed guys, but the women are buying it for their husbands or, you know, they're buying it for their children or, you know, women are used to accommodating other people's stories and, you know, taking them anyway. So hopefully, you know, we're trying to change that where men are happy to see stories where women are at the forefront and they're get used to it. Yeah. Absolutely. So how has your understanding or perception of the tutors changed through the course of this project? Like, I think everyone has kind of their almost stock characters of who all the tutors are, but you've got an opportunity to like really like get elbow deep into these stories and like give it some real critical thought. And how has that affected your perception of them? I don't think we think enough about how rough women had it back then. You know, we just, there's sort of, we slap some labels on, like Catherine, as Melissa would say, is just labeled an incapable mother. She couldn't have the child she's supposed to have. 
um, and Anne is labeled, you know, a slut. And that's just, these women had no choice. They did not have good options before them. So I just, I really think that we forget about the times that they were living in and how difficult it was to be a woman in those times. It always reminds me of like when people bring up, like if you could time travel to any era, like when would you want to travel? And I always say, do I get a ticket back? Because there, <laughs> right. as a woman, there is no era that I would want to stay in. Yeah. Right? Like if I can go and just like see things for like a day, fine. If I have to live in any other era, I don't think I want to as a can woman. Can I go to the future? <laughs> That is a great point. That's hilarious. And also what makes a monster, you know, I was like, absolute power corrupts absolutely. So we do track Henry in that, right, from like saying this marriage that was sort of real. They knew each other as teenagers. They grew up together almost. They they grew up together and there's a wonderful series on television that sort of shows how they were in love and, and how, you know, like we said, in a lot of instances, Henry relied on Catherine to rule and they were sort of equals and she was her, his sort of intellectual um, counterpoint. And in ours, maybe that's what makes some of the people je- around him jealous, you know, because she has a lot of power in a way. But um, when you get to the point where you're not only king, but you're told you're now uh, more important than the Pope, you know, like absolute, right? I love that. Right. Absolute power keeps corrupting you, your mind. And so you sort, we still have sort of, that's what we've added some of the songs to show Henry going, wait a second, I can be this big. Wait a second, I have that much more power. Right. And then maybe that tipped him into the, and, and also it's like, at what point do you totally lose yourself? If, if they had a real relationship and he got to the point where he had to literally excommunicate his, uh, the lo- maybe the love of his life, his wife, he never, he never, he never, at what point do you break so badly from yourself that you can't get yourself back? And right. from then on, he just went ahead and just chopped off and divorced and did whatever he did right. to a whole bunch of other women. But it was the breaking point of what he did to the, his first wife. Right. Um, that that put him, you know, can put somebody into the abyss. So well, and it makes me wonder, as someone who's studying psychology, um, <laughs> if she's like, going to grad school, she's going to be able to read all of our minds in like a year. So um, you can tell us all about, yeah, this. yeah, might not see right. Well, what I was gonna say is, you know, you were saying that he had these other people around him that were like kind of influencing him so it, it just makes me really wonder like how much was actually like him to begin with and how much was it these other people planting ideas and then kind of like feeding him hey you should do this hey you are more important than the pope you know like and like that's what it is is he probably had a little bit of narcissism and then all these other people were like yeah you're more important yeah you can do this like you know even though it wasn't necessarily in his best interest it wasn't their best interest so if they can push him over that edge, like you said, you know, and get him to divorce Catherine and like push him into that, you know, abyss, they're going to do it. And so like, I find it interesting that you mentioned that, that he had these, you know, other people at court that were kind of influencing the story from behind the scenes. Yes, that is, that is a hundred percent true. Yes. And, and he did have people that were whispering in his ear and, you know, and mainly they were people that were also, also had a deep fear of him. He was all powerful and could do whatever he wanted. And if you look at history, he also had a lot of men executed, you know, who did not follow his orders. I mean, that's what a man for all seasons about is right. Right. The, um, The story of Thomas More. Uh, ultimately, it doesn't necessarily help a country, right? No. <laughs> right. Ultimately, well, like uh, men and women and everybody are, are going to lose out. If women aren't allowed to rise or are treated in a certain way, the whole, you, you know, it, that's why right. our, you look to Elizabeth and you say, okay, if there is sanity, if there is stability, look what a country, look what England became. Right. You know, nobody's ever no there's no better writer than Shakespeare still so so look what a country can become um if if it is led with humanity and sanity right well and it it makes you wonder like had Henry had just a little bit of humility or a little bit of humanity or a little bit more than he had and not listened to those people and stayed with Catherine and you know gave Catherine the equality she should have had how great could the country have been then 
you know, right. because she was so intelligent and she did challenge him. So if he had treated her as an equal and they had ruled, you know, jointly instead of him kind of just doing what he wanted and then, you know, discarding her in the end, which was like we've mentioned heartbreaking, you know, like how great could they have been as a power couple had he not been the way he yeah. was. Amen. Amen. Watch they- out, Bradgelina. <laughs> no, they broke up. I can't use that reference no, anymore. You can't. <laughs> Who's the new power couple? Now? I I don't know. We're power couple uh, No, it's Dax Shepard and Kristen Bell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <you're right. laughs> okay, but it's got to be more than a, you know, a movie star celebrity. Yeah. <laughs> uh, politics? I'm not sure. I don't, I'm like, uh, I don't, I can't think it, of it, It's example. funny because I, I like, one of the nice things about talking about women's history, most of the women that we cover are dead. So it's not like we're going to be like, this person's awesome. And then two weeks later, it's like, actually, they're a total monster. So I'm like, I can't admire anyone until they're dead anymore. How about instead of power couples, we go with like power friendships and just like you two and us two and like we'll just rule the world. That's genius. I love it. Well, I mean, I've been reading a psychology book on relationships or whatever, and it was making the point that we are all stronger. You're stronger as a community and you're stronger with a collaboration. Like, you know, we can all be great. You know, I was talking about the lone wolf, Catherine, but ultimately, and we're trying to say that, like how Anne and Catherine helped each other. When you have a partner, you know, you can live longer, be more successful if if you're really working with that person. If you're fighting against that person competing, bad things can happen. The whole, it takes a village. It's not just about raising children. (laughs) It is about literally everything in life. Like you need at least one other person. Right, right. Right, right. And then you soar, I think. Right. So you guys released at least one full song, which we'll listen to here shortly, and you've released some snippets of others. How has the initial reception of these songs and these snippets been? Oh, fantastic. It's been wonderful. Um, You know, one of the reasons why as a producer, you sort of release stuff out into the world is to gauge the reaction. You know, again, I come from the television industry and we were constantly... Uh, putting stuff out there and testing it among focus groups and you don't really have that in theater so you know just testing it out among musical theater fans who are just wonderful (laughs) Um, and seeing how things play and it's I mean we have a uh, like thousands of followers on Instagram and um, that's really where we were releasing stuff Um, uh, we've released a number of songs on Instagram actually the first promotional single we put on Spotify was I Know You one of Jamie's beautiful songs. Um, and then, you know, Jamie, uh, to her credit, had the idea. She's like, you know, if you want to release my early work tapes where I kind of just strum out what a song sounds like, you can put them in social media. And we were like, great, let's do that. And <laughs> the fans love it. You know, they love hearing from Jamie and Melissa and they love when we, you know, release new music. So it's it's been a fantastic response. Um, and they're really lovely. You know, in fact, they follow Jamie and Melissa too, um, you know, and, and like we've developed bond, we have a few super fans who we've developed friendships with and Jamie came to play a small concert in New York and a fan came, you know, it's really, really lovely. So, um, the fan base is just wonderful and growing. That is so fantastic. And I've actually, I was doing a little research on the show and I saw some like talk on Reddit about, it. I'm like, oh, they're a big deal. They're on Reddit. Like, <laughs> cause people are like, is this like six? It's like, no, it's a much more like deeper exploration of the relationship yeah. of these two. And I'm like, oh, I love this. I love people. We love, I mean, to be clear, we love six, you know, we, oh, yeah. but uh, unfortunately, the night before yes, the close down. unfortunately before they had to shut down for COVID, but it's, it's a terrific show. It's so much fun. It's, you know, and it's very natural, natural for people to want to compare the two, but they're so different. I mean, Six is this wonderful concert and our, you know, it's essentially a concert style show and, and ours is a linear narrative, you know, with multiple characters and not focused on the first two wives. So, um, and the other thing is that there's plenty of room in the world for these two shows. I mean, like when we were producing The Prom, there were two other shows on Broadway doing very well about, you know, kids having trouble in high school, Dear Evan Hansen and Mean Girls, right? So there's plenty of room in the world for multiple shows. And the other, the thing that I really learned working in television for so many years is if people like something, you give them more. These, this subject matter is so immensely popular. (laughs) People want spinoffs and new series and more books. And, you know, like, so there's plenty of room for, you know, another musical that involves a two. Well, well, a bunch of six, six bands are also fans of the King's Wife. Yes. Jen's point. Yes. We love, we have tons of six fans and they're awesome. They're so great. 
Well, and uh, the, the story of Henry VIII and all of his wives, I feel like it is a testament to that idea that like you can you can have a billion different tellings of a story. We are never going to stop talking about these people. And <laughs> I, and that, that's one of the things that I'm so excited about with your show is because I feel like we're getting a perspective that we haven't gotten before. Yeah, we don't we don't want to stop talking about them. We just want to change how we talk. Yeah, about them. yeah. You know? give them some new labels, more positive labels, and recognize some of their good qualities. Let's recognize what they were, what they could do and what they were capable of doing rather than what they were not able to do. Mm -hmm. So uh, what do you hope audiences will get out of The King's Wife? I feel like we've touched on that through all of the questions, but if you just want to like put it all together. Well, it's it's interesting. I mean, it, it, it sort of, you know, looking at how we end it, it's like, what do we want them to do when they leave that place? I mean, I feel like catharsis, I believe very strongly in the power of theater as a method of catharsis. Mm -hmm. It certainly is for me, but you really want people to um, go through a visceral, visceral, not just intellectual experience um, and and be moved, emotion is moving out of something, right? You want them to have moved somewhere that will inspire them or let them see a, a part of themselves or, or, or mourn something they've lost, whether it's the loss of a child. Like that, that if, if, if audiences can get, I can't say what that experience for them is gonna be, but if we have ex- given them some kind of experience, not manipulating emotions necessarily, but Get, let them sort of see a part of themselves, whatever that is, great, mm-hmm. we've accomplished something. But it also would be nice if they walked out of this and said like, wow, okay, there's some recognition here that things are still problematic. You know, we're not so far from this. I mean, we've come this far, but it's not far enough. So what else, what can I do next? Mm-hmm. So we don't want, we, we have, we're producers who like to end on a hopeful note, even if they do get their heads chopped off at the end, <laughs> we're not, we can't change history. Right, it happened, I'm <laughs> sorry. Like jazz hands can't do like, dun, 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 <laughs> at the end. She but, lived. But <laughs> we do want to say something. It's still in process. We do want to say something at the end that says, you know, go do something or feel empowered or, or go be a Catherine of Aragon because now Catherine of Aragon wouldn't, she, they wouldn't be excommunicating their head chopped off. So you can be right. a leader too. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you can even be a leader. Maybe you can be a mom and pregnant and, and be CEO. Like, like what else can you do? Ladies, gentlemen, right. what else can you do not, you know, not contribute to this and problems and contribute to the right. solution? Like, pregnancy shouldn't mean you can't work. Yeah. On both sides, like as a woman, you shouldn't feel like you, you, you shouldn't feel either way. You shouldn't feel like you need to work or you don't need to work. And as men, you shouldn't view pregnancy as a, oh, I'm not going to have a, you know, I'm not going to have this employee. Like right. women can yeah. still be pregnant and still do things. They're Catherine not Catherine of Aragon dolls. literally charged into battle while pregnant. Like, and honestly, <laughs> if uh, I've, I've been very fortunate, I've never gotten the like, what's your family situation? Like, you know, where like they ask you if you plan on getting pregnant while, like in the without asking way. you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like a job interview. And now I have my answer. Well, you know, considering Catherine of Aragon literally charging the bow while I'll pregnant, I think I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I think I can handle it. Yeah. I'm just saying. You know, they, they portrayed it on um, the, the Spanish princess on stars, um, which is based on a Philippa Gregory book. Um, and it was great to see that they had an episode about Flodden, which is where she, you know, leads the troops. Well, and she, I love she, that you're starting with that. Like, that's a great oh, way yeah. to start it's something. So Just good. throw that oh, my God. Wait till you hear Jamie's song. It is insane. It's so good. <laughs> so yeah. And the more badasses there are in the world, the more badasses we hope to produce. There we go. <laughs> somebody, somebody will be inspired or moved in some way yeah. and we've done our job. Yeah. So before we listen to the song, I know you, you guys want to just tell our audience a little bit about it? Like give some context? You're gonna make me cry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, this song makes me very, like I don't even know the context and I listened to it the other day and I'm like, I don't know why, but I feel so emotional. I know you too. (laughs) Well, we won't won't tell you exactly, exactly, exactly what happens, but we will give you- Oh, broad overview. Yeah. 
context for it. And also, um, I should say, if anybody wants to check out more of the music, um, you can check out, you know, the Instagram at, at the King's Wife Musical on Instagram. And, or you can also follow Spotify, follow us on Spotify. I know you is on Spotify. So thank you for letting me do a little shameless plug. Oh yeah, and we'll, we'll definitely like throw all your links out. And- oh, lovely, thank you. Um, so, the, so I Know You is a song that Anne sings to Catherine. Catherine suffers a tragic event and we won't say what it is because we don't want to give the whole story away. But Anne is, um, watches Catherine go through this tragedy like a warrior uh, and then kind of collapse for a moment. And she sings this song to her to get her back on her feet. So this song is about helping a friend who's been through something terrible get back on their feet. I'm already gonna cry. Like just that (laughs) description, I'm like. And with that, we should just let Jamie Floyd's beautiful words take you away. (laughs) Perfect. I'm not crying. You're crying. That's like fine. I feel like that's going to be like a big empowerment song for people. Like, you know how like there's defying gravity with Wicked. It's going to be this song for this music. Yeah. It could be other ones too, but like I do. I feel like it's like a really good, like it's sad and it makes me like, but sad in like a feeling like you can tell she, they love each other kind of way. Yes. When yeah. the when the strings swell, I'm like, oh, I feel that in my chest, and yeah. it's so good. Well, and yeah. something uh, I really like about it lyrically, you know, we've all been in that situation where we've had someone that we really care about who's going through something devastating, you know, and it's not always something that we can relate to, but that line of, I like, I don't know your pain, but I know you, 
And it's like, I may not be able to relate to what's happening, but I know who you are and I know what you're made of. And you're going to get get through this. this. And like, I'm here for you. And it kind of, it kind of like hits all the buttons of how you should, you should respond to someone going through a hard time. This is going to be the song of like, someone will just send it to you. I don't know the words to say. Here's a song. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Jamie's really a master of that tapping into the human emotion of things. And she's, she's actually, you know, an incredible ballad writer and has written ballads for many famous people in the performing world. You know, she's a, she's a performer, um, but she's also a a sought after songwriter too. So, um, and this, this type of song is just her forte. She just knocks it out of the park and, every time just like, you know, reaches her hand into your chest and pulls out your heart <laughs> with her music. So um, yes, this, we love this song too. And I've heard it about 50,000 times. I'm sure. I still get, you know, I still well up whenever I, you know, really listen to it and hear the words and it's just so moving. So we can't wait for audiences to hear it live someday. Yeah. yeah. I can't wait to like see it in the context of the whole show. Cause it is a great, it's, it's one of those songs that I'm, it's going to be on my Spotify playlist and I'm going to belt it out every single time it comes yeah, on. It's, I have a, I have a whim playlist of like whatever I want to binge at that time. And this is on there and it comes on the car and I'm just like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to like shame the song by trying, no. but <laughs> so, so you, Jamie's the one that wrote it, right? Is she yeah. also who is singing it in this demo or who is singing it? It's actually not. Um, you know, Jamie has all these wonderful friends in Nashville, all these wonderful collaborators and friends in the music industry. And um, uh, the woman that uh, sang vocals on it is a killer artist in her own right by the name of Maddie Diaz, who ha- actually has an album out now. Um, so she kind of did it as a, as a friendly favor to the show. Um, nice. because she has the type of voice Jamie is going to look for ultimately when we hire an actor. So um, Maddie was kind enough to voice it for us. Yeah. But um, she is, I mean, her voice is incredible. Yeah. I was going to say Maddie killed that. (laughs) I know she did. And and Jamie has an incredible vision for how she wants her music to sound. And also Jamie has an incredible voice. So um, when you get a work take from Jamie, it's like a treat, you know, because you know, you're going to get to hear Jamie. It just makes you excited. (laughs) Yeah. And we'll, we'll sometimes be develop, doing some development work on Zoom or meeting with the team. And Jamie will be like, well, it could be like this. And she'll sing a couple of bars. And you're just like, oh. Right. <laughs> like, and my day just got better. <laughs> yes, yes. So so uh, very, very talented folks. You know, she 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 pulls in her, her friends uh, and collaborators as needed, which is very generous of her. Um, yes. Empowered women, empowering women. Just exactly. saying. <laughs> yeah. She has a very strong network of women in Nashville. So, yeah. So you mentioned your Spotify and your Instagram. Where else can people follow the musical, follow you, get updates? Like where, when do I know when I can buy tickets? Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> so it's, you know, we're getting there. We're not there quite yet. Um, uh, so Google no, alerts. <laughs> no, exactly. No productions to announce yet, but we will keep updating on um, Instagram. Of course, we're going to be releasing more music on Spotify. Ultimately, we're talking about a concept album. So there is more coming. Um, COVID, unfortunately, slows everything down, as we said. But there is more coming. So please stay tuned. Instagram is the best place to uh, follow to get updates. So at the King's Wife musical. Which we are definitely following. Mm-hmm. Like, and like, said, like We'll, we'll oh. post it everywhere. Oh, yeah. Thank you. We appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, RosalindProductions.com will eventually uh, yes. have information about where it's happening mm-hmm. and we may end up having a king's wife musical website but uh rosalindproductions.com currently exists as a website and we'll there'll be updates there too yeah and i mean people can go there to find your other work too like the prom Absolutely. and stuff. Yeah. and we're doing a film and we have a yeah. lot of we're doing a non-profit show called oratorio of all living things mm-hmm. we support when we do shows with women, really talented women artists, and all our shows are about empowered, interesting women um, at the forefront. Well, like I love, you go to your homepage, and it literally, like, the first big line, it says, women-led, female leads, girl power since 2005, and I absolutely love that. Yeah, we went on the website, and we were like, oh, damn, this is going to be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Our new, uh, we also, there's, um, at Roslyn Productions, we're also on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, but but we another tagline we have is by and about women for everyone. I like that. love that. Yeah, because like we're it's like women are always expected to just kind of like 
find themselves in stories of men, but if it's a female lead, like, no, that's for girls only, you know? No, it's for everyone. Yeah. That's amazing. Is there anything else you guys want to share or add or anything? Uh, no, it's just, we're, we're so excited to, to get the musical out and have everybody see it eventually. It's a wonderful, deeply moving, dark, like incredible story. Um, it's just riveting. The team has done such a beautiful job of creating this show. Um, we should give a shout out to our music director. The only guy we've allowed on to the team, <laughs> Brandon Bush, who's amazing. Um, he's lucky man. <laughs> he's a wonderful human and he he came with with tamala they'd worked together on a number of projects so um so yeah and and you know again a shout out to melissa annis and jamie floyd for you know making the show it's beautiful and people are going to be really excited about what they've done so we will keep everybody posted because good things are coming for the king's pipe yes and we will pass on anything we see posted from them to everyone else yes and we appreciate you guys for yeah. doing what you do. You know, it's really wonderful. I, I had heard the podcast before, so we were thrilled to, to you know, be asked to be a part of it. Thank you. Yes. Well, thank you, thank you for being on. Because yeah. I'm just <laughs> like, we're so excited. It, we're it, fangirling full, before this. Full disclosure, we got the email. I was like, this is such bolt. This isn't real. Yeah, we were like, there's no, no one way. is asking <laughs> us about this. Like, are you kidding me? And then I, I did a little LinkedIn stalking. I was like, well, man, if uh, if Jennifer Kranz made a fake LinkedIn page, she did a really good job. <laughs> she put way it. too much work into it. Because so, you know, like like uh, you have an email, you get like weird submissions you know, and things. I was like, this is too good to be yeah, true. We this had a little like- imposter syndrome where we're like, we're not that good, but yeah. we. So we really appreciate. It. We've absolutely loved having you guys on. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for having Jean-Jean us. Doing great work. Super Thank fun. Thank you. So that is uh, Jennifer Kranz and Abigail Rose Solomon of Rosalind Productions. And keep an eye out for more news about The King's Wife, the musical you will definitely 100% have to see and binge the soundtrack to. Remember, please like us on Whining About Herstory on Facebook, Instagram at WAHpod, Twitter at WAH underscore pod. Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com and our email is whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com where we would love to hear from you. Especially if you are also producing a Broadway musical because oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Also rate us five stars wherever you listen and uh, we have a Patreon, patreon.com forward slash whiningaboutherstory.com where you can donate to keep the wine flowing. Yeah, as little as one Dollar. One dollar. As always, I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. It's a cold case like no other. In 1888, five women were brutally murdered in a London slum. Attacked so violent, the killer earned himself a nickname, Jack the Ripper. But everything you think you know Jack and those women is wrong. On Bad Women, historian Hallie Rubenwald uncovers the real lives of Jack's victims, revealing discrimination that put them in Jack's path, misogyny women still face today. The show challenges established theories about the murders, causing many supposed ripper experts to see red. Listen to Bad Women wherever you get your podcast.